Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project A Ventures, the operational VC. My name is Rainer Berak, operating partner at Project A, and our guest today is Enric Sega. Welcome. Thank you very much. Happy to be with you. In this podcast, we talk to founders, um, to great founders, and we ask them a standard set of questions in the domains that we think matter tremendously for building a successful company. And these are tech, growth, people, data, and ESG. And with Henrik, today we have a founder of a company that is a little bit less common in, in the series. Usually we talk to typical tech, startup, uh, digital companies, but your company is slightly different. Uh, Maybe, who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it? Absolutely. My, my name is Dr. Henrik Seger. I uh, born and raised in Berlin, uh, studied in Germany and in the US. And uh, a few years ago, I came across a subject that was totally not on my, uh, you know, my to-do list yet, uh, because I had two old uh, aunts, both over the year of 80, and um, both wanted to stay in their property, but they wanted to sell it, though. And this was just a new thing. I did not really think about that in my life before. I was like, uh, I grew up in the social business as a social entrepreneur. I was working for a family office. And all of a sudden, I had the challenge in front of me to, to make my aunts happy. Both were saying, we're wealthy on the paper, but we're poor on the bank account. And after thinking about this, I thought, okay, that's actually true. And they wanted to get the money out of the walls of their property. Uh, they had no children. Uh, they had no husbands anymore, and uh, both of them had the feeling that in the end of the month, they did not have the money that they were supposed to have because they had a good life on the paper. And and this was a little bit my briefing, and I, as I said before, I did not have an answer. Uh, and uh, I was talking with two good friends about that subject uh, back then, and we tried to find a solution. We looked at what's existing already on the German market, and there was nothing satisfying. Uh, there was always something that it had a big downside, uh, downside in, my, in my eyes. And I wanted to find simply a solution that was uh, simple, and uh, but like a solution where actually every party involved would be a winner. So we're actually simply buying uh, properties from older people. It can be also younger people, but mostly older people. Uh, we buy the properties, uh, properties where they actually live in themselves and we rent it back to them. It's a classical sale and lease back system, which, is, uh, which was, which is not existing uh, on the German market. Uh, so GNEV was the first, is uh, now for many years market leader, uh, very successful in the German market. And we're just you know, buying uh, properties every month between five and eight million euros. Uh, this year, around 100 million properties, around uh, 100 million euros. And we're very, well, let's say, Actually, like probably compared to all the companies and founders that you actually usually talk to, we're actually very boring and we're very proud of it. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, that's actually a little bit what I always uh, say. You know, we're not a startup in a classical way. We're a young company. Um, we're actually, uh, you know, just doing a job uh, with older people who don't want anything, you know, with startups. They want, you know, a, a trustworthy company that they believe in. And, and that's what we, what we are, you know, we want rather to be an insurance uh, or like a bank and we don't want to be cool. Mm -hmm. So you are a young company, um, you do solve a problem that you disrupt the market. And uh, to be honest, not every so-called startup can actually claim that. 
So uh, I think that fits very well. And I'm super curious about um, hearing your answers to our 42 questions or um, because I'm certain that you will bring in some fresh ideas or ideas that are a little bit probably different from, from the standard we would hear uh, here in the series. So uh, maybe last thing quickly, who's your target group? So who do you approach? You approach directly the homeowners who want to sell and lease back. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, average age is around 75 years old. So uh -huh. we do have the 85-year-olds, which are, you know, having life stories that are, you know, not the typical life stories of a company that is, uh, you know, that you usually talk to, I believe. Um, so it's very exciting. Uh, but we also have, on the other hand, uh, the 40-year-olds who have the same motivation. It's like actually mm -hmm. funny because we do actually have people that are 40 that have the exact same motivation like somebody who's 80. Uh-huh. I'm curious to hear more about that. I bet TikTok is your number one marketing channel. But let's get to that a little bit later. People. If you would start a company today, what would be your first five hires? Uh, I would actually uh, hire a PA, uh, a CFO, a salesperson, uh, a customer support person, and a uh, back office. Um, and were these the first five hires that you had? No, actually, that's my learning is actually that You know, as a founder, you always have to really believe in your own you know, abilities and the strength that you have. So, you know, like getting actually help. So actually you can focus on the important things is actually mm -hmm. the most important. So actually, I really, if I would do it again, you know, I would really hire like a, a person who would help me, you know, taking away from me the, the, the little things, the stupid things, the time consuming things to really focus on the important things. Mm -hmm. What's the hardest to hire today? Uh, in your field, if you try to find people, what's most difficult? It's crazy difficult to get anybody. It's like, you know, <laughs> I, I read an article in the newspaper the other day saying, you know, where did all the people disappear? Uh, you know, because we, <laughs> yeah. we, we see it on airports, nobody's working. We, you know, left and right, we, everywhere we have the problems that they're missing people. And it's the same with in our business. We really need people's persons. Uh, mm -hmm. but uh, we need them, of course, with the, with the basics. And I'm sometimes honestly shocked uh, that the basics are mostly the problem, you know, like mm -hmm. really being reliable, you know, speaking and writing the, in the German language in such a good way that I can, you know, let the colleagues just run. Uh, you know, if I read an email from a colleague that has five mistakes in two sentences, uh, I'm getting mm -hmm. slightly nervous, especially <laughs> if my target group are older people that are having like certain standards, they grew up with Knigge, uh, you know, so you cannot write an email uh, that is like, even for me, like uh, confusing. So like, I would say it's, it's very difficult to get anybody at all right now. Uh, so uh, hard times. I feel slightly embarrassed now about my emails that I wrote to you and I bet, I bet they didn't uh, keep up to your standards, but um, I will try to do better <laughs> next time then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so once once you have the people and you certainly want to keep them, the good ones, um, how do you? What do you do about uh, employee satisfaction? Do you measure it? Do you? Um, how do you keep track on that? Actually, it's it's about happy faces on Monday mornings. Uh, you know, if you have the feeling that the people are enjoying work, uh, then you're doing well as a company. Uh, you know, if, uh, it's it's the little things, but actually, it's the big picture. Uh, if you have the feeling colleagues are not minding to stay a minute longer or actually also to get, go a minute home earlier, you know, 
uh, that's totally fine. My when I started my business career, I had like always the rule for myself: I want to have a job where I enjoy Monday mornings the same way I enjoy Friday evenings. Uh, sometimes, sometimes Friday evenings became a Saturday, uh, but uh, but you know what I mean. And and this is a little bit how I, I live it also for my colleagues that I say, you know, if you're not liking to come to work, you know, please don't come, you know. But uh, it's a little bit my homework, of course, to to make it as much fun. Uh, as, as possible to the colleagues. You know, we just moved to a new office. That helps, you know, we always eat together with the colleagues. You know, we're doing the little things. I always spend time whenever I'm in the office with the colleagues, talking to the colleagues, you know, and, and these kind of things are, you know, they could be time consuming, but actually like caring about the colleagues is something very important. And I do. Uh, how about performance? Um, do you have any ways of measuring um, how the performance of individuals or teams is in your company? Yeah, I would say in the degree of my willingness to give trust, uh, because I believe in empowering my colleagues. And uh, the goal for every colleague we have in the company is that, you know, he doesn't even have, he or she has to talk to me. So when I get to the point, uh, and it's like, of course, a process of, of time and uh, success and uh, you know seeing that a colleague is really working hard but my goal with every colleague is you know that they don't need me anymore you know i don't mind to be totally you know i have enough things on my table you know so if i have the feeling you know i can give more trust or uh, then uh, it's a very good feeling for me and usually it's also a very good feeling for the colleagues because uh, that's what our my colleagues learned from the beginning you know that you know if they get the trust they're doing well What's your favorite type of org chart? Oh, very lean and simple. Um, you know, it's, I don't like complicated in general, you know, so, you know, we always uh, work with open doors and, and that's in the end of also the, you know, the way uh, the company is structured. So classic uh, reporting lines with one to N uh, direct reports, etc. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of, you know, having big meetings where everybody of the company is sitting together. I mean, once in a while, that's of course good. But, uh, you know, I like, I really like to, to talk to the people, you know, that's what I mentioned before. It's not only about asking how the weather is, it's also about, you know, how's the job, you know, how can I help you? But in the end of the day, I'm like, I grew up a little bit in the way of, you know, that I always, you know, come to the colleagues and say, okay, how can I help you? Come to me when yeah. you need the help. And that's fun. Yeah, that, that already, already taps into the topic of culture. How do you approach uh, culture and what's, what, how would you describe your culture? Uh, like, actually, like I said, empowering. I really, you know, like I said before, enjoy giving away uh, um, my trust. And uh, that usually uh, is a very good experience. I think it's very satisfying for everybody involved, you know, because I see the colleagues are really enjoying this, you know, the own, how can I say, you know, it's like, I mean, they, I can see it that they have the, you know, the trust on their shoulders. It's more work for them. Yes. But they enjoy it because they all feel like a little bit like little CEOs in the company. You know, they have their own department. They have their own, you know, they make their own deals. They make their own, you know, they feel their own success. And that's very important. You know, I want the people to feel uh, that they're part of everything. And I don't want them to run home at five o'clock, dropping the, you know, the pen and uh, saying goodbye, running out of the door. Is your company remote first or office first? All the way office. I totally like people <laughs> and <laughs> I hire only people who also like people. And I believe uh, that's a very good thing to, you know, talk to each other, like I mentioned before. But uh, like very much business wise, I believe, you know, if some two people are sitting next to each other, like 
we do, it's fine. But you know, if we would see like really in the would sit in the same room, it would be a little bit a different atmosphere. And then you're just you know going on the next table, and because we two have a good idea, and we get the next guy, you know, we go over to the next room in your office to Flo, and we talk to him, or we go to Anton, and we talk to him, or to whomever, you know. So we have the guy simply and get some new input, and that's what what I really like. And you don't have it so much on a digital way. Tech. Would you call GNEV a tech company? Uh, not a typical venture-backed uh, tech company. You know, we uh, do uh, deploy lots of tech um, to speed up uh, the process for our you know, customers and optimize internal processes, but not the classical way, even though uh, it, it is also a process. You know, in the beginning, like if you would have asked me two or three years ago, I would have simply said no. Um, but we're growing, you know, we actually uh, invented our own um, tech, you know, we actually uh, brought the company because of this to the total next level. And, you know, if some other company, you know, just try to do what we're doing now, we're probably two or three years ahead of them. And uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's very cool. You for sure have a website. Uh, you have, do you have technical products uh, that, that your employees in the back office or during their work Are, are using that are self-developed that are core to what you do? Uh, yes, actually. I mean, we actually got to the point that actually our partners, uh, meaning like um, real estate agents and other people who are actually bringing us customers, actually have all their own websites and actually the information they give about the real estate and about themselves actually is actually landing straight to our systems. So actually our colleagues uh, see this and actually can put like, Uh, many other things on top of this to actually get final results very, very fast. We actually uh, came from you know, needing for that process. We, we used to need like six to 12 days and now we're actually down to one, two, three days. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, and it saves simply a lot of time and energy. So we actually really were sitting together in the company and we thought, okay, what kind of tech could we need? What could we use to speed up certain uh, things that actually are costing a lot of time? I assume you do have uh, product managers or product management team and developers. Um, if that's the case, is any of these two in the lead for the technical process? I mean, at the end of the day, the te technical process is always a C-level thing in the company. So it's like, it's, it's more like, you know, it is a team decision, yes, on, you know, on current market trends, but in the end of the day, it's, uh, it's, it's a C-level thing. So it's also on C-level decided what is to be developed next, Correct. I assume. Um, and and is there, which, which particular uh, function is that? Is that a CTO then? Or is it, is it you? Or who, who in the organization takes the final call? I mean, in the end, the final call is mine. Uh, even though uh, our CFO is, uh, I mean, we're having, like, uh, we're having two C-level persons right now. Uh, I'm more in charge of uh, the, the brand, the marketing, the sales part. And uh, the colleague is uh, more doing the financial and uh, process uh, part and also the technical part. So that would be more on his side. But, you know, once in a while we talk to each other. And how does the decision-making uh, process work together with product and, and development? Is, is there, is it, do you work in, um, in, a, in an agile way in, sprint, in a sprint logic or so? Or how does that work? That's pretty much uh, bottom-up and uh, top-down, trying to involve the team who is close to the customer. That's always important uh, as much as possible uh, when it comes uh, uh, when coming up with new developments. I mean, 
it's always dangerous, you know, to believe, even though you're like leading a company, you know everything. So it's always important, uh, you know, to talk, I mean, actually to all the colleagues, if possible, to really understand how is the marketing working today. Because, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, when the company was young, I was uh, the first person working for it. Uh, but, you know, when the company grows, we're like up to 16 people now. You know, you always have to, you have to understand what's, you know, work, how, how is it working in all the departments? And, and therefore, it's, uh, even though I understand what's working because I've done it myself in the very beginning, it's very important to, to understand if this is still the same status quo uh, than it was a few years ago. What's your take on product-led growth? It's a term that is uh, around a lot for the last probably yeah, few years. And people understand different things on it, but what's your take? And does it play, does it make sense in, in I'm trying to think about it, um, how that could actually make sense in, in your case? What's your take? Uh, yeah, not really applying to our model because mm -hmm. uh, our model is really like something that needs to be uh, explained. Uh, we really have to go to the customer. We're actually sitting on the customer's couch, uh, literally. Uh, so in this case, it's not like, you know, here's a product and uh, the customers are going from there. Yeah, maybe some, I don't know if that would even count as product-led growth, but I wonder if uh, maybe because there are also communities and friends, etc., some kind of a real estate Tupperware party or so, where, <laughs> where you invite friends over and you explain them how great it worked for you and then it can uh, create this way through wait, the community. Wait a second, I have to take some notes. Um, <laughs> no, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that could be a way right now. It's mostly our customers are not having this. I mean, actually, yes. Yeah. I mean, of course, the neighbors, the friends, the family is always a factor. But in mm -hmm. our way, it's more like we, it's a lot of trust. And, you know, yeah. as a company, we have to, it, it is a process uh, to earn this trust. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which role does design play in your company? I mean, good design is professionality, you know, and the key to success. So I believe, you know, uh, you were saying, you know, we have a website, of course, we have a website. And I believe it's very, very important to have it on a level that if somebody is like, you know, seeing this website, uh, there's this trust from the first moment. Uh, meaning, um, like I said before, you know, the, we want, the, we, we're rather a bank or insurance. And that's the way our website also needs to look like that. You know, we're not having some flashing lights and here and there and, you know, make a quick deal. You know, we want to tell the people, you know, we have the time. We're there for you when you want us. Mm -hmm. Would you or do you probably um, outsource software development? Yeah, yeah, we have, of course. It's, I mean, I always believe that, you know, that you should get the best people than you, that you can get. And if there are, you know, not the possibilities to do something in-house, I'm totally fine, you know, in getting it uh, and outsourcing things. So we have done this, yes. Growth. If you think about the complete funnel, so you build a brand and then you probably generate leads through marketing and then you have a sales team potentially to actually make the deal and customer success to, to follow up. Uh, do you have all these functions at GNEV? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, like I said before, that is like more my part uh, of, uh, of the, the C-level. So mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm the brand person. I'm the marketing person. I'm the sales person, like with my heart uh, from day zero. Uh, so this is like uh, very much how we live, how we build the brand, how we build the company. And um, on the level below you, the people that you have there is, is one, of the, one of the teams that I just mentioned in the lead, like the 
dominant one um, above the others? About that subject, not. Actually, that's like very much uh, my subject and it, it, mm -hmm. it, it stayed my subject. Uh, so again, it's yeah. like a little bit that uh, it's a C-level, it's a CEO thing. Uh, but of course, the head offs are, you know, helping. Uh, even though we're not having hired one person who's in charge of branding, you know, that's like simply I have a strength in this and getting somebody uh, who would do this better than me would be difficult uh, to get on the market right now. So I really enjoy that. I enjoy the marketing I, I, and, you know, the sales part actually I gave to uh, the head of sales. So actually uh, just recently gave that away. And because that's uh, a person who like really grew up in the company through different levels. And, uh, and now he's in charge of all the salespeople. So actually, I'm very happy, you know, and we're actually coming to that. What I said earlier, you know, that's like, you know, this empowerment. If you do good, you simply get more power uh, and, and that works quite well. What can you do as a founder, as a company um, to avoid um, that silos are built, especially between marketing and sales? We see that quite a bit in B2B companies where marketing is uh, creating leads and then sales has to convert them. And if in the end, the whole thing in in a month or in a certain vertical or so doesn't work, then marketing tends to say that sales doesn't convert well, while sales likes to say that the leads weren't good enough. How can you avoid such such a such a blame game? I would you know give two answers. On the one hand, of course, like a blame game, I would say usually you can prevent to not simply have a good company atmosphere. You know, like the entire culture. Uh, of uh, inclusiveness and mutual respect, you know, having fun at work, you know, uh, it's important. So like every company will, you know, doing team events, et cetera, to really, you know, have a certain bonding, you know, and that's especially good when you come to those days uh, where not, not everything is perfect. Uh, the, the second answer, of course, would be simply, in, in our particular way, it is not really too much a problem because, you know, all the leads are people in our case that are really interested in the product. So the salespeople who actually would talk to them, to those people, you know, it's um, it, it's like always, you know, a good talk. We're having like, just to give you a feeling, we're having three customer uh, appointments and we make one deal out of this. Uh, so we're working on this, of course, you know, to make that better. We already found ways to we have like, if we work together with a partner, you know, we're having actually 2.2 uh, customer appointments to make a deal. Uh, so we're actually, you know, working on this, but it's more like a group thing. Uh, than a blame thing. Okay. How important is brand for you and how do you approach the, the overall field of brand? Like I said before, like I'm a real brand person. I really like to have like this brand um, vision to, you know, to have it uh, for the company, to really live this uh, for the company, um, to have like a, a good uh, company identity. And yeah, for me, I believe, you know, in the level of professionality and trust, a strong brand is everything. Yeah. And I was actually wondering because the name, so GNIW in German, so in English, G-N-I-W, it, it stands for in German for Gesellschaft für nachhaltige Immobilienwirtschaft. Some people might say that's a little bit uh, uh, tough to remember or so, but, uh, but because of the because of its sound, because of the, the way it's phrased um, and not being the next so-and-so 24 or hello something or so, it probably exactly creates that trust and it's uh, and, and does not look like a bunch of people who just like create a little startup, but it, but it sounds very solid. That, that's intentional, I guess. 
I can I, I cannot add anything to this. Uh, you know, that's exactly that was the motivation. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're circling around those two words, uh, professionality and, and trust. But but that's unbelievably important with our very special customer group. You know, in the in the beginning of everything, you always have to understand your customers and simply our customers have like a certain how can I say? I mean, they picture a company they would sell their house to a certain mm -hmm. way. And we simply have to be, you know, to fit to that picture. Okay. Marketing channels, which ones do you use and why? I think TikTok probably rather not. Which others? Or, or maybe prove me wrong. <laughs> no, no. We do have a colleague who's actually taking care of Facebook and, and Instagram, but uh, we're uh -huh. not getting much younger than that. And that's actually more just to, you know, make a check on the, you know, yeah. get to, so we made the homework. Um, no, that's not so much important to us. Actually, like I said earlier, I really like boring. So we uh, started uh, simply with just, you know, advertisements in, in newspapers uh, that are relevant for the customers and have some re uh, rep share partnerships with them now. So it's, it's like a, it's very much fun uh, mm -hmm. because everybody feels a winner in it. And, uh, you know, this was like the easiest way to, to get the customers. Uh, now we do also do crazy things. We also uh, do online advertisement and uh, surprise, surprise. Also, people actually um, uh, care about us online. Uh, so, yeah, we're like simply doing everything. But actually, the foundation again for us was uh, like really print media uh, because that's very much where our customers are. Yeah, and I guess it's not to be underestimated that the golden agers are um, digital nowadays. Um, and if you take Facebook, for example, the audience there is really has gotten really pretty old um, or, or golden. And uh, yeah, you probably meet them there. Uh, just out of curiosity, because we have discussed this here plenty of times over the last years, um, I think video text or teletext is still existing. Did you ever try that? You will laugh. Uh, I did have a call like a year and a half ago with a lady. Uh -huh. I, I forgot to work for, for what channel she was working. And actually, uh, she never called back. Uh, okay. It was like never that much on the top of our to-do list. Uh, yeah. Yes, it still exists. Uh, I don't even know if the TVs nowadays even have a button. Actually, they, I believe they even have buttons for this. Huh? But there, uh, there, there are websites where you can watch the yeah, yeah. The, the video text uh, pages. Oh, and I, I know, and I know people doing that. I know people actually following. Seriously, uh, they are um, below fifty, which is probably still or, or already old. But I know people who actually follow football on video text. I mean, like, don't ask I, me I, why. I, but <laughs> I, I mean, I did this too, but that was like uh, twenty-five uh, years ago. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I believe honestly, teletext is something, but it's just another puzzle part. Yeah. Okay. Uh, performance marketing, classic performance marketing. There are people who say it's dead or dying because of GDPR on one side and walled gardens on the other side. Uh, what's your take on that? For us, it's totally working. It's not dead at all. We're very <laughs> successful with performance marketing and we don't see it die anytime soon, at least not for us. Okay. You do have salespeople. Um, Where do you find good salespeople that understand your business and are sufficiently tech-savvy, if that's actually required for you? I mean, yeah, we, I mean, first of all, we need, we're looking like for a certain kind of people. We look for likable and hands-on salespeople. 
um, that understand our product and do not rush people. You know, we don't want the classical person who would usually, you know, sell a cell phone contract. Uh, we need simply people who feel like they're consulting. They're nice people, uh, but we actually do feel that, you know, our customers, um, actually we have the feeling that some of our customers have the feeling that, you know, having our colleagues come sit with them for an hour or, or an hour and a half could be the highlight of the week, uh, mm -hmm. maybe for more. And, and therefore we, you know, we want to pay that back. You know, we, you know, there is a cake prepared, there's a coffee, you know, they blocked the afternoon for, you know, for, for us. So we really want mm -hmm. to, you know, um, have nice people, like people's, uh, people's persons who in the end of the day also enjoy that, you know, I mean, the typical salesperson, you know, is already, you know, leaving the Ferrari on, uh, not even turning off uh, the energy and running in quickly, wanting to make the deal and running out. We just really, you know, we look for people who really enjoy the people who actually come out of a talk and say, okay, that was a cool person. You know, myself in the beginning, I was traveling a lot myself, uh, sitting at those uh, customers. And I love that, you know, I'm honestly missing this. So whenever I still have the chance, uh, you know, when I have some notary appointments somewhere in Germany and I have the time uh, left and right, I, I always enjoy that because it's always cool people, cool stories, cool motivations to come to us and always a life story. So, mm -hmm. you know, you need people who also enjoy that. It might, it, mm -hmm. it must be, you know, this one and a half hour meeting must be a win-win situation for both people. And I don't believe that uh, too many salespeople would say that. Data. How does data make GNEV successful? I mean, shareholders and employees are, of course, uh, data-driven. I mean, analyze all the data to see trends, drive the business and manage the costs. So it's, I think it's the classic. Mm -hmm. And are there certain functional areas in your team that are supported uh, with data, like the market, probably the marketing bit, uh, but also, I don't know, somehow into product, your product offering, uh, maybe um, uh, geographies or so. Yeah, yeah that's like, a, this is all would be in the valuation department. Of course, the customer support, finance, uh, they're, you know, using data, of course, a lot. Do you have a dedicated data team, a business intelligence team or so? Oh, we're too small for this. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess you would expect your team to um, take data-driven decisions to the extent possible. Um, and if yes, how can you make sure that people actually decide um, based on data? Um, I'm asking this because we sometimes see companies where, um, where, there, where there is a lot available, uh, but then the people don't look at it and just prefer to just decide based on gut feeling. How is it in your case? I mean, we discuss, of course, outcomes and results as a team and decide what's the best way forward, you know. I mean, in the end, of course, I mean, it's like it's, there's not always the right answer, you know. So it's like, you know, looking at this, trying uh, as a team. Uh, but like I have mentioned before, it's always important, you know, to understand how all the you know, departments of the team are working, how, you know, the customers are feeling, and you're putting this all together and then understanding where the entire team, where the data, where the company must go. So I think it's very important. Okay. Uh, GDPR, DSGVO, is it a struggle or is there also some sort of opportunity in this? I mean, I think it's, uh, it's, it's an opportunity. I mean, in the end of the day, it's not much changing for us, you know, it's, we have the client data and of course we take care of that very carefully, we respect our client privacy. So with and without, not a big change to us. 
But as you are in the trust business, it's probably also a good way to differentiate yourself, right? Uh, compared to, I don't know, others who might, yeah, just like not be as compliant. Um, and you can probably win on the trust factor here if, if you just do everything right. That's my point. I would say simply that's the foundation for everything. Environmental, social and governance. Why did you not, instead of GNEV, start an ESG company, which is uh, what a lot of people do nowadays because they say they want purpose in the center of their career? Uh, you will have. Uh, I've done this already. Uh, uh -huh. I'm no, a little bit older. But when I was young, I founded uh, Deutschland Rundet Auf, uh, Germany Rounds Up. Uh -huh. Uh, yeah. That's the company where you go to supermarkets and you can round up for a good course. Uh, it's uh, still the company in Germany uh, with the most uh, donations, single donations per uh, per year. Mm -hmm. uh, since the start of the company, I think it's like more than a quarter billion roundups or single roundups uh, wow. that the company has done. So many people have just, you know, given like uh, three cents after they, you know, went shopping or while they have been shopping. And uh, that's actually quite satisfying. So actually, I'm done with that. Uh, uh -huh. It was uh, a lot of fun. It was a good time, you know, and I learned a lot during this time. But, um, I mean, if you look at, at uh, the GNEV, I mean, it's also like uh, a lot of things actually changes from the European Union uh, coming, you know, on the horizon. So, you know, concerning residential properties. So there actually will be, uh, it, it will become, let's put it this way, it will become a, a bigger part in the daily business of the GNEV. Let's go through to, uh, through the three uh, aspects of ESG. So uh, what do you do internally in order to help our environment? You have to think with me a little bit on the big picture. It's like not I can say, you know, I'm planting trees. Uh, we're actually buying houses and apartments, but let's say with an example of houses, big houses, you know, where full families used to live in. But now, you know, the kids went out, but the house stayed in the same size. Maybe the husband's died. Over the years, you know, so just the old lady is still living it who's 80 years old in a huge house of 250 square meters. And she simply lives in the house because she's always lived, she always lived in this house. And, you know, she likes the garden and, you know, she likes the house. She has so many memories in this. So that's usually the way. Uh, and it continues like this. But since we actually buy those houses, give those people the money, but also we give them the freedom to move out whenever they want whenever they don't feel like, you know, that they cannot walk up the stairs anymore, that the garden gets too big or whatever happens, you know, we give them actually the easiness to move out quickly. So many people actually who never actually had the belief that they, you know, they, you know, our customers don't want to sell the house because selling the house in the past was always equal with moving out, moving somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So we actually have like a total different approach. We simply say you sell it, but you stay in it, which in the past was never possible, but we made it. So for those kind of people, actually, we're actually, you know, giving them the money, we give them the freedom. And therefore, we highly believe that many of them simply at some point will say, okay, I, you know, I sold the house already, I'm paying a monthly rent for the house. But, you know, I will move simply to a smaller uh, apartment because it will be easier for me. And they simply, you know, they just say, you know, I move out, I don't have to sell it anymore, you know, because I sold it already, those people. So in this moment, uh, we give this an easiness. To move out and actually in this moment actually young families uh, have the opportunity to move in uh, to those uh, houses that actually are in the correct size for them so i honestly believe there will be you know the switch 
and it's which will come earlier than without us mm -hmm. uh, because uh, older people have it in an easier way and younger people who are definitely waiting for those kind of houses have an earlier chance uh, to buy it. So that actually has an environmental and a social aspect. How yeah. about governance? Um, anything to add on governance criteria that you follow? I mean, good corporate governance is crucial for us, not only for the investor confidence, but also for the clients. And uh, so, yeah, it is not like a, a big thing, but yeah, we're working with that. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of startups nowadays uh, really try to focus on ESG. And for, for many founders, it's not clear if a strong ESG focus um, and not necessarily even having an ESG company, but like trying to be ESG compliant, uh, if it will help them towards investors or if investors just like say that, but in fact, they just want to see revenue. Uh, what's your guess? What, what, what do you think? What do you expect investors really care for? I mean, to be honest, it's not on our landscape uh, so far at all. You know, it's like when we talk to investors, it's uh, nothing we have ever talked about. Mm -hmm. um, actually, I don't want to do those kind of things for investors, you know. I mm -hmm. you know, like to do them because they are the right thing to do. So, for example, the GNEV is, you know, giving money uh, to projects that we believe in that are connected to our, uh, to our target group. Uh, this is what we do, and like I've mentioned before, I honestly believe we actually help our customers very much because mm -hmm. uh, you know we actually enable many people to have the life that they have been dreaming of, uh, but they have never they never understood that they actually can get this money out of their real estate, of their property. So we're having so many like honestly thankful customers. If you check it online on Trustpilot. You know, once in a while I'm looking and uh, reading the stories and I'm like honestly touched because we really made people happy for them. Uh, we are like a lottery win. And, uh -huh. uh, and that's like really wonderful. You know, like we have a business where we can totally honestly play with open cards. We tell the customers mm -hmm. what, what's in for us. We tell them what's in for them. And uh, sometimes the customers are asking, okay, but still tell me what, where's the catch? And we say, no, no, this is all, you know, we're happy with this part, you get this, and everybody's a winner. And uh, they say, okay, but where's the catch, you know, you know, and, 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 and that's quite, and that's honestly quite satisfying, you know, to mm -hmm. have a product uh, that uh, customers are really happy for, that they want. And that actually, you can see sometimes in the eyes uh, of the people that realize, okay, that could really change my life, this real estate that, you know, for 30 years, I, you know, paid every month for, you know, I could not go on vacation sometimes because, you know, I could not simply afford this. Now, this house, this property is actually paying uh, my um, my last 20 years, my last 10 years, my last five years, whatever. And it's it's, it's a very nice atmosphere, you know, like, yeah. uh, it's fun. And so I believe, okay. to, to come back to you, it is not something that we actually do for others. It's like really our daily business. Okay. I assume you don't have an ESG officer or a similar role just due, due to your size at GNEV, correct? Uh, correct. Plus, simply because of my background uh, from the past, it's a little bit on yeah. the table. If, if you would grow and at some point you would in, employ such a, uh, such a person, um, who would that person report to? Where would it sit in the organization? Actually, my goal would be to grow in different positions and that I could be more part of that subject. Okay. 
my last three questions. Which is the one podcast that all founders should listen to? Besides yours, you mean? Of course. <laughs> um, actually, to be honest, um, I had like a, I have a friend, one of my best friends for many, many years, who's also involved in this company. And he told me a um, long time a story. He was invited uh, for dinner at McKinsey. Uh, that, you know, when you start at McKinsey, you will probably not keep all like friends, family and your hobby. Or if you're lucky, you keep one of those three. And uh -huh. I, I have this in my head for 20 years. Uh, and I want to, I, I kept two and a half of this and the half only because I have a, a injury. Uh, but uh, to be honest, I don't listen to podcasts at all. I'm like okay. really not having the time. You know, I work, I have my family. I have the, you know, I have friends. I do have my hobby uh, once in a while. So honestly, podcasts, I have uh, not listened to them in the past. I, of course, I listen to some of yours uh, to prepare, but, uh, and I like them, but uh, nothing else so far. Fair enough. I think it was our friends from uh, Doppelgänger. That's a podcast that I very much recommend uh, in German, in Germany. Um, I think they once said there, you know, there are all these books of all these very influential uh people like the Tim, Tim Ferriss, et cetera, uh, type of people. And they, and they, I think they once said they believe there is a, there is a considerate negative correlation between people trying to listen and, and read all this and learn as much as possible and being successful. Uh, so I hope that's not the case for this podcast, but, but in general, I, I, I can actually imagine that. Um, I don't know. What are your top two pieces of advice for early stage founders? Uh, it's very cheesy, but I would honestly say believe in yourself. Uh -huh. uh, it, it sounds easy, but like really trust yourself, you know, like really, you know, if you believe you can do this, then really, you know, believe in yourself and, you know, listen to yourself and, you know, don't be a little fleck in the wind. Uh, and somebody says, you know, paint the house green, then you will paint it green. And then the next day you will paint it pink. You know, like really stay to your, you know, stay with your decisions, you know, really trust your abilities and, uh, and then, you know, work uh, hard. That's the second thing, you know, like this really working hard thing. It's not about hours, you know, but it's like about the focus. It's about, you know, how much you want something, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, 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 I'm a tennis player, you know, there are tennis players who simply want to win and you will not beat them because they want this so much. And there are other players, mm -hmm. you know, who have good days. It looks all beautiful, but they, you know, lose once in a while. And, <laughs> you know, rather be like a Nadal, who's like, you know, you, you know, he would, he would rather drop that, uh, you know, before, you know, letting you win. And in this case, you know, really work hard, you know, really give your best and, uh, and uh, never give up. Last question. Who are the two other founders I should ask these questions and you can make an introduction for me? Of course. Um, Uh, two friends of mine, um, uh, Tim Detman is one. Uh, he uh, he's the founder of Beat Eighty uh, One. It's like uh, he was like reinventing fitness, uh, also struggling, of course, with the Corona times. But uh, actually, like you know, actually very smart thinking of you know how you can do sports, you know, without just you know going to the gym. So very smart ways. Also going to other countries. Meanwhile, so that's definitely a person very interesting, very smart person to talk to. And the second one is actually a, a good friend of mine for many, many years as well, uh, Malte Bedürftig. He used to work for, for a decade at McKinsey uh, and then uh, was the lead uh, founder of uh, Go Volunteer, uh, now the largest uh, volunteering platform uh, in Germany. We founded that uh, together back then. 
and uh, he's already on the next levels uh, of go nature so it's all about volunteering and uh, finding ways actually to to connect uh, people who want to volunteer and companies who need those people so very and very interesting person and that's it thank you so much henrik i wish you all the best for you and for gnev uh, people please spread the word um, among all the homeowners you know who would actually like to profit from the model that henrik's offering um, And that's it for today. For today, Thanks a lot for listening in. We appreciate everybody's interest. If you want to know about Project A and the stuff we do on the investment side as well as on the operations side, just go to projecta.com and you can grab a lot of knowledge there. Of course, visit us at the Project A Knowledge Conference in October. The ticket application process is open. And for the podcast, if you want to hear more of us, subscribe to this podcast, rate it, review it, and of course, share it with all your colleagues friends and family. Goodbye. Hello, podcast listeners. We have some exciting news for you. Our Project A Knowledge Conference is back and happening on October 7th at Kultur Brauerei in Berlin. If you want to get to the heart of the European startup ecosystem and connect with founders, leading investors and digital experts, join us for a whole day of knowledge sharing and networking where experts from every area of digital operations will share their insights and best practices. This year, we're bringing you an amazing speaker lineup, including Christian Hacker, co-founder and CEO at Trade Republic, Lubomila Jordanova, co-founder and CEO at Plan A, and Philip Glockler and Philip Klockner, co-hosts of the Doppelganger Tech Talk podcast. Apply for a free ticket now or purchase one directly from our website knowledge-conference.project-a.com.